It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And the world's eyes are still very much fixed on Maui and what's going there, going on there in the wake of the wildfire that apparently no one saw coming. I was on Maui uh, two years ago. Try and go over here. Didn't go last year because I had a different trip. Emily Campagna and I talked about this a little bit on our podcast not long ago on our happy hour about how much we love Hawaii and how it really draws you back over and over again um, once you are overcome with the spirit of aloha, which happily has happened in my life. But sadly, uh, we're seeing what's going on in Maui. And you have to ask yourself, could this happen to me? No matter where I vacation and what would I do if I were faced with the same circumstances? And as I told you in a previous podcast, uh, I left Maui three days before the wildfires began two years ago um, in 2021. We were there and uh, wildfires sparked up not far from where we were staying, about five miles down the road. And the locals there said they had never seen anything like it. And you have to ask, uh, was the government ill-prepared for something like this? Did they not warn people in time? Is there more they could have done? What would you do? Because obviously a majority of the people who are on the island are tourists. They're visitors. They're having they're, they're in paradise, having the best week of their life. You know, you've got a lot of honeymooners and and people celebrating big birthdays and milestones in their life. And they are drawn to Maui and places like that because they are ideal, serene, peaceful, relaxing, transforming. And the entire place has been transformed into an apocalyptic hellscape as we look at some of the images from Lahaina, where 80% of the town has been burned. And, you know, the death toll will creep, it looks like, into the hundreds. So I want to know, as someone who's interested in survivalism, and how do you take care of yourself when you're faced with these very circumstances? And we saw the harrowing video of people jumping into the ocean because they they had nowhere else to go. Luckily, the, the ocean was there for them. Many people had to be rescued by the Coast Guard, but when the government isn't around, who do you call? Well, I might call this guy, Dale Buckner. He is the CEO of Global Guardian. He joins me, and uh, they have been mobilizing teams their company has in Hawaii. Uh, they have brought in boats from the Big Island. They've been chartering aircraft from Oahu. They evacuated 167 clients. Dale, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Kenny, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what was the first thing that struck you when you started seeing just how bad it was in Maui? Yeah, I, I think, and this will sound terrible, so don't take it that way. This pattern of not having enough warning, this is not new. 
if you think about everything from 9-11 to the Paris attacks, which again, if you said, what do you think of Paris? People think city of light, city of love, things like that. Um, the Turkey coup, the invasion of Ukraine, the fall of Kabul, the wildfires in California, the Texas freeze, the hurricanes wiping out uh, Puerto Rico a few years ago, all of those things take us by surprise. So for us, this is a normal reaction and a couple of key takeaways. Number one, technology and technology alone cannot save you in a crisis. We all want to think that an app or an alert or the you know 300 speakers on Maui is going to alert people to help them. And the reality is once these crises start, they have a life of their own. They typically move much, much faster than ever anticipated. And everybody is shocked by it because as human beings, we're programmed to think that's never going to happen to me. So I think from a that standpoint as a crisis, this follows a very specific pattern that is very uniform with everything we see year in and year out. So when I was there, um, you know, two weeks ago, they had they they set off the test sirens and everyone very quickly came out of the ocean and yeah. people were really worried. They're looking around going, you know, what is going on? Are we being bombed? Yeah. Is there mm -hmm. a tsunami? Uh, people are, are trying to wrap their head around it. And, and it was interesting because they're just these blaring siren noises, but there's no voice that comes on at the end that goes, this was just yeah. a test. If you had yeah. heard this, it would be followed by nothing like that. It was just like. Blaring sirens, everyone gets out of the ocean, everyone's freaked out, and then some local goes, oh, they're just testing the sirens. And then yeah. you kind of go, oh, okay, and about 15 minutes later when you forget about it, you get back in the water. But those sirens didn't go off during the wildfire because they said it happened so quickly that yeah. a lot of the emergency alert equipment that is used was already irreparably burned. Yeah, yep. No, I, I again, I think it's a, it's a pattern of being surprised by the speed of something, whether that's an active shooter, uh, all those events that I previously noted. I think ultimately you cannot rely on technology to save your life. Ultimately, you have to know where you're going to go, have some situational awareness of where you are and where things are so that you can move. Mobility in crisis statistically has proven out for decades now that when you are mobile, you can save yourself in many ways if you know a path to a, a spot of safety, if you will. So how did how um, did so many people in Lahaina die? What happened? Yeah. So you've been to Maui. Obviously I've, I've been there. I was in Oahu just two weeks ago of note. Um, and I had lived in Oahu for four years as an early part of my military career. Um, and I did notice up in the, what they call the Kahukus, this training area in, in, on Oahu, how dry it was. So when you think about just the terrain and how quickly this moved. If you've been to Maui many times, Lahaina is this historic, wonderful, beautiful town, but it's built up over the last 30 years materially. And as soon as that fire sparked in the city center, it just went wild and spread so quickly because the wind was so powerful. It just fueled the spread and the fire was literally jumping roads, house to house, building to building. Um, and that's how you get that speed and effect of how Lahaina just gets wiped off the face of the earth. So, so it, it very dry so and, and very winding, windy. Those those pre-hurricane winds had yeah. already set in. I mean, is this yeah. – I'm sorry if this is a dumb question. Is this hurricane season? No. 
Oh, without question. So we're in, if you look right now, literally as of yesterday, there are three storms in the Pacific, one of them headed towards Hawaii right now. Um, you know, if you go on our website, you'll see we, we do this whole thing on hurricanes every year and we're in it. We're in it now all the way through November historically. And if you look at all the patterns and the temperature of the water, we could be in for a really interesting year, both in the Atlantic and the Pacific. In the last decade that I've been doing this, we have not seen the, the number of storms in the Pacific that we have seen in the Atlantic, but right now there's three of them all out, you know, off the West coast of, of the United States and one of them on paths to go very close to Hawaii. So we're definitely in it from now till November. This is Kennedy saves the world. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. So if you see a wildfire raging pretty close to you, the road is closed. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, you need to turn around and find another route you've got to find a path. And if there is not an obvious path, that's when you take risk and you create your own path. Again, generically knowing what is east, south, northwest, generically knowing at least some level of the road system. Obviously, we all depend, and I think we've kind of become so reliant on technology and our phones and GPSs that we kind of mindlessly follow those things. Um, Every once in a while, it is good to look at a map, have a sense of which is what cardinal direction and where things are. It can save your life. It can absolutely be the difference. And I do think that is the downside of technology is we become so dependent on it that we don't even think and we're just following a scribbly line on a road and that's dangerous when these things happen i i'm one of those people i have such a horrible sense of direction um you know it's like i get lost in my own neighborhood i i have that thing where buildings all look the same to me and unless Mm -hmm. i have created a a grid with landmarks in my brain on purpose i i will not be able to find my way into or out i have a notoriously awful sense of direction. So I rely so heavily on ways and other tools to get me out. But, you know, it's like, man, it it just makes you realize that things can go south so quickly. So Kennedy, the the golden rule in all these scenarios, you can apply this active shooter, you can call it, you apply it to a terrorist attack, you can apply it to a war zone, you can apply it to any natural disaster. In those situations, you have to trust your gut and you have to make a decision. So many human beings get caught up in these situations and they panic and they freeze. Because they're panicked and they don't move, that's where bad things happen. Even if you make a bad decision and go right when you should have left, the idea is that you'll realize going right was a bad idea and have enough to turn around and go in a different direction. The key is not freezing. And that's where you see a lot of people in these scenarios. And again, you can apply this across these templates where mobility matters. And even if you make the wrong decision and adjust, it's better to make a decision, act on it, and then adjust versus panicking, trying to figure out the perfect thing to do. And that's when bad things happen. And the speed of this fire in this case I guarantee there were people that panicked, got frozen, and it was deadly. It was it, too late, even even a, a moment's yeah. hesitation. Yeah. So, you know, we, we always see 
especially with the president's reaction. I thought it was slow. I thought it was incredibly insensitive when he wouldn't take a simple question from a reporter about Hawaii yeah. when he, he screamed out no comment. I think that's incredibly inappropriate when you're talking about the deadliest wildfire in uh, our history. Yep. So who who had the best response? Because, you know, I'm, I'm reading about I, I mentioned a little bit about the people you evacu- evacuated the boats and aircraft yep. you were able to mobilize. So did the local government blow it there and who have who had the best response looking back? Yeah. Uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll template this across these crises in general. It's almost always the same. On the ground, your best response is always the person right next to you, to your right and left. These are family members. These are neighbors. These are people from church, people from school, whatever it is. You'll see incredible things happen under duress. You'll see people help each other in a way that you just can't replicate in day-to-day life. So typically that is ultimately the best response where people help people in these crises when they start, when there is no government solution, there is no military solution. There is no solution like, you know, global guardian because we're, we are responsive to a degree. Yes, we are sending out alerts very quickly, but ultimately if that alert cannot lead to an outcome or a path, um, it doesn't mean a whole lot. That's where I make that comment. Technology doesn't solve these problems alone. I think when a crisis starts, it's all about the individuals and the people around them. Once you get past that, and now we're well into this now, there'll be a lot of after action review and what systems were used and what worked, what didn't work, who who responded quickly and efficiently, so on and so forth. What I would tell you is governments by just by the bureaucracy are always slow in these cases, even the military, but they bring they bring scale and they bring uh, a capability and capacity that most civilian capacities can't match. So there is a role here and you'll see that rolled out. For a firm like us, uh, ultimately we are getting our clients out of Maui by two boats that we brought in from the big island. We can move 25 25 to 30 people at a time. We're bringing in small aircraft, charter aircraft from Oahu, getting our clients to Oahu, putting them in a hotel, and then they fly home commercial. Those responses, because it is private and because it is to a very specific population, are typically much, much faster than your local law enforcement, your local uh, government, if you will. But yet the government does have a, a very sophisticated role from what happens now until Maui's rebuilt, frankly. Um, so I think it's too early to to know who shot John. That after action review will be done just like it's been done recently on Kabul, just oh, like you've it'll be done too. on the Ukraine, so on and so forth. Of course, same thing. Um, ultimately, if you look evil, I mean, there, there'll be lots of blame to go around. Um, but ultimately, the people to your right and left in that crisis typically make the most difference at the most important time without question. Yeah. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, you really do see the best and most incredible side of people when they don't panic and, yeah. you know, when when they do mobilize and, yep. you know, they, they do it instantly. And and that's always a fascinating side of human nature because not everybody has that. And can you cultivate that in yourself? Can you learn how to not panic? Can you learn how to live completely in the moment and react in a way that is most beneficial, that has the best outcome for you? 
Yeah. So my answer is mixed and I, and I'll utilize this concept of arming teachers, for example, because I know this is something that's hot in the public sphere and we talk about it a lot. I was in special forces. I was an infantry officer. I lived that life for 24 years and I was trained to be able to do those things and not hyperventilate and be able to think clearly under stress. Mm -hmm. That was trained and beat into me from the time I entered the military till I left um, that's part of military training. That being said, I will tell you right now that not everybody in the military does well under this, even though they've been trained extensively, will spend billions of dollars training military personnel every year. It doesn't ultimately mean that everyone is built for this. So if we were to arm uh, teachers in a school, what I would tell you is statistically, probably 90 to 95% of those teachers will not respond appropriately when it's real. Yeah, I, I tend teach, to agree with yeah. that. I think there, there yeah. are some people who are trained and trustworthy, but I, yeah. I, I feel the same way about arming the TSA. Yeah. There are a lot of TSA yeah. agents yeah. where I'm like, nah, maybe not give them yeah. a gun. Yeah. Ultimately, to answer your question, this is based on human nature and not everyone is built for this. You can train them and get a, a positive effect out of it, if you will. Uh, there'll be some upside that might help them through a crisis. No question that's trainable. Does it mean that based on the veracity and the speed and the intensity of the incident that everyone is trainable to function at a high level? The answer is no, and it's just based on human nature. And I also worry that there are governments, not just in Hawaii, but also California. And, you know, we've got a lot of wildfires in California. Yeah. They're not going to internalize this like they should. I mean, we yeah. have a way when government gets too big and too bloated yep. and too bureaucratic, yep. Uh, yep. it has a way of not learning its own <clears throat> lessons. There's no question. Um, you see this in our government every day. You see this in governments around the world. Again, there is an upside to government in that parts of government need to be boring, parts of it need to be very bureaucratic, and you're in and you're out provide essential services. When it comes to crises and crises response, whether that's a military capability, a law enforcement capability, EMS capability, so on and so forth, when it is localized and it is managed by a relatively small team, that's where you get great effect. When it gets very big, it gets slow, it gets bureaucratic, it's not very effective. The only counter to that is it can eventually bring real capacity, a capacity, again, that you can't replicate in the civilian business sector to mm -hmm. a certain degree. So it is a mixed bag, but ultimately you're right. I think it, it, the hope here has to be that look, this, the Hawaiian Islands are small. You've been there multiple times. This is a, a very tight community. The government is very tight. It is backed by the United States, of course. Uh, so I think there is an there is an opportunity that one, the islands will take this serious. Uh, the the headquarters of the government being in Oahu will take this wildly serious, and it's small enough that you would hope that they will do the after action review, they will build the lessons learned, and they will come out of this stronger than previous uh, prior to the event, if you will. I would think just because of the geographic nature uh, and the size of the government there, that that is completely feasible. And the probability of coming out of this stronger will be very high, hopefully. Yeah. And, and I'm praying for all of those people who lost family members I'm praying for all the people who are looking for jobs and all the businesses that were destroyed, uh, that they are able to, the best of their ability, uh, yeah. rebuild, 
find jobs, start anew, yep. regenerate, and that when it is appropriate and that time is not now, that people will go back and, you know, have all the incredible experiences that they can only have in a place like Maui. Um, Dale Buckner, last word, sir. Uh, Kennedy, thank you. I I really enjoyed it. And I think that this is one of many incidents that we'll see over the next decade. This is not new. It is not a one-off whether it's related to natural disaster, terrorism, war, active shooter, whatever it might be, there's no doubt that this is just one of many as we move forward. And I do think, you know, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, that you're living in a very different environment than I grew up in. Maybe you grew up in Kennedy. Um, And I do think these things are ever increasing statistically and that we do have to think slightly different, whether it's Maui, which you would consider paradise, or it's Paris, or it's a medium to high risk country. Anything can happen anywhere. Absolutely right. Dale Buckner, he's saving you with uh, Global Guardian. He's a CEO. So if you want a little protection, go check out his company. Dale, thanks again. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.